Welcome to the Sojo Show with Jen and AJ, where you'll dig deep into God's Word alongside two imperfect, frequently ineloquent women as we discover fresh ways to walk out God's truth together. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Sojo Show with Jen and AJ. This is AJ, and I'm actually recording this intro all by my lonesome self. Jen is not here with me, and it feels so weird, just straight up honest, to be doing this all by myself. But I do have good news for you, because in just a minute, you're going to be hearing from Jen. As part of our Spiritual Growth Academy, Jen recently did a teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be sharing that with you today on our podcast episode. Now, you may be wondering, why is Jen sharing this teaching, or why is AJ making Jen share this teaching on the Sojo Show? Great question, and there's a really good answer, because as you know, this month, we are talking about the Lord's Prayer on our podcast series. And the Lord's Prayer is actually part of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we wanted to kind of back up a little bit and give you a little bit of context as to where the Lord's Prayer falls in the scripture. So Jen is going to share a teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. She's going to basically show us how to view the Sermon on the Mount because this is these are the words of Jesus. So number one is pretty important. But number two, there some of the some of the things he says are really con- controversial. That's the word I'm looking for. Controversial. So she is going to give us a little bit of perspective, not only on the Sermon on, on the Mount as a whole, but on how we in our culture and society today can appropriate it and use it in our lives. And of course. As the Lord's Prayer is part of the Sermon on the Mount, you will get a broader context for how to use the Lord's Prayer as well. So with that little bit of background, um, I just want to also reiterate that this is a teaching. So this is kind of a little bit outside of our normal style. If you've listened to any of our other podcasts, you know that normally it's Jen and I going back and forth. We have fun. We banter. We talk about tough things. We talk about fun things. And today's podcast episode is a departure from that. So if you haven't listened to any of our other podcasts, you want to go back and listen to some of those just to kind of get a feel for our normal routine and the way we normally roll because it's pretty fun. However, we wanted to share this teaching because it is it is good and it is appropriate for us to, from time to time, take a step back from the minute details of scripture and get that overall picture. So without further ado, I introduce Jen and her teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. This is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus in the Bible. And it is one of the most well-known and yet misunderstood and misinterpreted passages in the Bible, Mis- misapplied even. 
Sermon on the Mount. That's what we're going to talk about today. My name is Jen Evangelista, and I am um, half of Sojo Academy along with Arab Joy, and we are studying the Sermon on the Mount here in the Spiritual Growth Accelerator. And as we go through this passage, I want to make sure we do it uh, and we approach these chapters in the right way. Again, These verses are often misapplied, and we do not want to fall into that ditch. So let's talk about it for just a minute, the overview. So this passage of Scripture, which includes Matthews 5, 6, and 7, those three chapters, it's often used unwisely as a moral maxims, as moral standards, as teachings, um, which they are teachings, But what oftentimes we think is that if we live up to them, then we'll be accepted by Jesus, right? And even if that's just a subtle subconscious thought, okay? And when we do that, when we have that kind of thinking, we turn the gospel upside down where it's not supposed to be. Apart from God's sovereign grace, we cannot do what is prescribed in these chapters. So this is important for us to realize Once we have been made alive, however, in Christ through his work on the cross, then these words become a beautiful standard that we can live by imperfectly, yes, together as a church. And God can use that, our living these standards out, to display the gospel, which is the entire point. Okay? So, I have three questions I want to review today with you on the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, what is the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount? Number two, where does it fit into God's overall plan? And number three, what should we understand and how should we understand the kingdom of God? What should we understand about the kingdom of God? All right, so let's start with question number one. What is the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount? There's three possibilities here. Spoiler alert, only one of them is correct. Possibility one is that they're principles for good living. We try our best to live them out and things will get better for us. That's not true. Okay, number two is that it's a legalistic view of imperatives and commands and words that of Christ, which they are words of Christ, don't get me wrong. And we tend to emphasize the things we're good at, right? And de-emphasize the things we're not so good at. And they're very, it's very legalistic. And these are things that we must, must, must do. Okay, so that's an incorrect view as well. So what is the actual purpose of it? Really, the Sermon on the Mount gives God's people a picture of what life should be like, what it could be like, and what it will be like in the kingdom of God. So he's giving us an earthly representation of what we will one day experience in the kingdom of God in eternity. John Stott, who is an old uh, pastor that um, is, I think he's British, he wrote these words, and I want to read them quickly for you. The words are uh, concerning the Sermon on the Mount. The standards of the Sermon on the Mount are neither readily attainable by every man, 
nor totally attainable by any man. (laughs) To put them beyond anybody's reach is to ignore the purpose of Christ's sermon. But to put them within everybody's reach is to ignore the reality of man's sin. So they are attainable, all right, but only by those who have experienced the new birth. Okay, so when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, as we're studying the Sermon on the Mount, let's study it with a right perspective. It is intended to give us a picture of what life in the kingdom will one day look like by telling us how to live together as a church now. Okay, all right. So where does it fit in God's plan? I'm going to give you a really quick overview of the Bible up to this point. Are you ready? Five points. Hang on. Number one, God creates, man falls, sin ruins everything, and God promises to restore. So this can be found in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Genesis 3, 15, and Romans 5, 12, just to kind of summarize, basically in Genesis 1, God creates everything out of nothing. He creates man. Man falls in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve rebel and plunge creation into ruin at this point. Sin ruins everything, but God promises to restore. In Genesis 3.15, he promises that the serpent will one day be crushed. Okay, so that's number one. Um, The fall, by the way, did not sneak up on God. He was not surprised by the fall of Adam and Eve. God created the world knowing it would fall. He's not guilty for it in any way, which is hard to wrap your brain around. But he planned for the redemption of a people from the world and ultimate restoration of all things for the display of his glory. He planned the whole thing. He is sovereign over all. That should give you hope in and of itself. Okay, so we got that in Genesis. Um, Point number two, God calls out Abraham to make a people to display his glory. In Genesis 12, one through three, he calls out Abraham. He makes a nation through Abraham so that they can be a picture of what life is like when you obey God. It's the seed of the church in the New Testament right here. Okay, number three, God tells his people how to live, but they continue to be enslaved by sin. Exodus 20, 1 through 3, Psalm 106, 1 through 8, 20 through 29, um, 32 through 39. Those are just all different Psalms. Okay, so God tells his people how to live, but they continue to be enslaved by sin. He raises up Moses to rescue people, to rescue his people from Egypt. And that is more than a story, but that is a picture of our rescue from sin as well, right? God did it all miraculously. Exodus 20, you can read about it, Exodus 20, but he gave them, then he gave them the law, okay? The law was never meant to save them, but it was meant to make them realize how they could not save themselves and point them to beyond themselves, outside of themselves, to God. And eventually the law is fulfilled in Christ, okay? So it shows what's right or wrong, the law did, but we needed, they needed someone to fulfill that law for them. And that happened on the cross, okay? So point number one was the fall, okay? God creates, man falls, ruins everything, God promises to restore, Number two, God calls out Abraham to set a people apart for him. Number three, he tells us how, tells his people how to live, giving them the law, even though they were still enslaved by sin. 
Number four, God promises to save his people by sending a savior king who will establish his kingdom. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and Isaiah 53. Despite the fact that his people were enslaved, God promises to send a savior king who will establish his reign and rule on earth. Okay. And then number five, the savior king has come to free his people so that they can live for him. Matthew 1, 18 through 23, Matthew 4, 17 through 25. The Savior King has come. And that is where we are right now in the story of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? Christ has come. He is the Savior King. Although at this point, that's not real clear to everyone. <laughs> right? This is this is in his ministry. Okay. So how should we understand the kingdom of God? Because if we're talking about Sermon on the Mount being a picture of what it's going to be like in the kingdom of God, how do we understand this kingdom of God? What does this even mean? Okay. So what we need to know about that is also three things. Number one, the kingdom of God is here. It's here and now. Jesus is reigning right now. We see the work of God in the world today, but he has given the prince of the power of the air a certain measure of Um, authority in this earth, right? Jesus's kingdom is here, but it's not yet fully established. We're in that in-between time between the lamb and the lion. Okay, the lion, when all the enemies will be vanquished one day, we're in between the time when the lamb was slain, the perfect lamb was slain, and the lion will return and reign. So we're living in that in-between space. How cool is that? Okay, if you think about where we are in history. So the kingdom is here. Number two, the kingdom is his people. So it dwells in us because the spirit of Christ is in us, right? And the spirit of the king lives in his people so that we can display his glory. So we are the kingdom. But then number three, the kingdom is yet to come. What, Jen? What are you talking about? The kingdom's here, the kingdom, we're the big kingdom, the kingdom's yet to come. I don't understand. Okay, listen to me. One day, all sin, all evil, all injustice, all rebellion, it will all be vanquished, finally and fully eradicated, gone. Again, in history, we're in between the establishing of the kingdom and the consummation of the kingdom. We are not there yet. It hasn't all been done yet. Okay, it will be done. It 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 has been done in the sense that the victory is ours and it is sure. There's no question about it being done. Okay, let's get this, wrap your brain around this a little bit, okay? There's no question that it will be done. That is not a question. The victory has been won by Christ on the cross. However, it hasn't yet been consummated. Okay, so we're living that in between. So God has given us a picture of life in the kingdom through the Sermon on the Mount, not to navigate life more successfully here, although it is helpful. It will help us to love your neighbors and do these things, right? But it kind of makes us like an embassy in the middle of a dark land when we strive towards these things. Okay, until the time that the king comes back for a second time and he fully vanquishes evil, we still live in this world. It is a dark world and we are like an embassy of his kingdom. 
So our goal is to live this way, not so that God is pleased with us in the end, but because God has made us alive and we live this way to display the kingdom. We're ambassadors. We're ambassadors of the kingdom that is one day coming. Okay, so God is not concerned just with our independent obedience of these things, but our the obedience of his church in general, that will be the light on the hill that will draw men to him. Right. So Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about the story about the Sermon on the Mount. And this is super simple. It's super simple. So listen to what he says. He says the glory of the gospel is that when church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message. Though it may hate it at first, this is how revival comes. That must also be true of us as individuals. It should not be our ambition to be as much like everyone else as we can, though we happen to be Christians, but rather to be as different from everyone who is not a Christian as we possibly can be. Our ambition should be like to be like Christ. The more like him, the better The more like him we become, the more we shall be unlike everybody who is not a Christian. So Martin Lloyd-Jones says simply, we're not supposed to look like the world. We're in the world, but our goal is to show the world what the kingdom will one day look like. And in order to do that, okay, in order to do that, we need to understand some of these instructions and commands that we cannot do in and of ourselves but through Christ in us, right? I can do all things through Christ in us. This is what it means. I can do what's commanded of me in the Sermon on the Mount because I have Christ in me. This is so simple and yet it's so powerful. We as Christians believe really strange things. We believe that we were hopelessly separated from God because of our sin. We believe that Jesus came down and laid down his life and absorbed the punishment that should have been ours, right? We believe that the king died for his people. We believe that God the Father then raised him from the grave, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And we believe that he calls people not to trust in themselves or morality, but to trust in what he has done to obey the Father for us. When we believe these things, we give evidence that he has made us alive. He's taken our dead hearts and he's resurrected them with him. And now together, we as a church, big church, little church, local church, big church, earthly church, we can live the strange counter-cultural way, right? More than ever, we have to be counter-cultural in these ways to be a light separate from the world, but in the world that God holds up. We're a light that's held up by God to draw other people to himself for his glory. And in doing so, it is for our good. He's not saying to do better. He's not saying do these things. He's not. It's not possible to do them without him. He's saying, trust me, trust in my strength, live in a way to display the king who came once as a lamb, but will one day return as a lion. He will finally establish his kingdom and glory, and we will live with him forever and ever. So as we approach 
our series on the Sermon on the Mount, our study of the Sermon on the Mount, as we approach through this accelerator, going through these passages of scripture, as we hear teachers teaching on it, as we are thinking about it, think about it rightly. Think about what it is for. It is so that we can point others to the gospel. Hey guys, it's AJ here with a personal question. Do you ever long to connect with other women over God's word? If so, I'd like to personally invite you to be part of our online Bible study community. Sojo Academy is where Jen and I meet via Zoom every week with our global community to discuss God's word, pray, and share what we are learning with each other. In Sojo Academy, you'll get a fresh Bible study every month, as well as weekly meetups, Bible journaling kits, accountability, community, and an entire library of workshops and Bible study tutorials. Jumpstart your walk with God and come hang out with us live this week. Visit SojoAcademy.com and we'll see you inside. Are there areas in your life where you feel like you need to simplify a bit? My guess is yes. Several years ago, AJ and I identified seven areas that we felt like um, were important to simplify in order to focus on most important things in life and primarily our relationship with God. What we are doing is pulling that out of the vault, and we are doing Simplify Your Life Summer 2024 Edition. We invite you to join us. We are excited about it and look forward to seeing you there. Go check out sojohub.com slash simplify for more information.